Good evening, gearheads. Welcome to your Sunday night with Speed City. This is John Massengale. I'm in the studio in Austin, Texas, and I'm joined by my friend Bob Varsha from his Atlanta headquarters. Bob, how are you? World headquarters of Bob Varsha. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, doing great, John. Thanks. Uh, just um, getting excited about Las Vegas. You know, it just keeps ramping up in terms of the intensity. And uh, since Jonathan Green and I and you will all be there next weekend, um, these are exciting times. I know. Looking it's, forward to it. It's going to be, I mean, no matter what, it's going to be exciting and interesting. It's the first time in 40 years F1 will visit the U.S. three times in the same year. That's cool enough. But the fact that it's Vegas mm -hmm. is just amazing. And, I mean, yeah. I, there's been so many stories coming out of this, everything from you know, the, the crazy start times, the temperatures, the, the, the people there, the businesses, the, I mean, it's just, yeah. it's just really, really crazy, but, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm ready to, I'm ready to get out there. Yeah. I mean, you know, no matter what happens, it's going to be an event. You're going to want to say you were there for, um, not just to take the picture, get the t-shirt, all that stuff. Um, I mean, it's, it's going to be historic. And being there on that first weekend is also going to be historic. It's a promotion, uh, an undertaking that Formula One has never done before. And uh, and I, in fact, can't think of uh, too many other sports around the world have done anything like this outside of the Olympics or soccer's World Cup. I mean, it's one event, one location, one weekend, $400 million worth of expenditure, over a billion dollars pumped into the Las Vegas economy. How's it all going to work? I've got a list here of about 10 pages of celebrities who are expected to be on the grid, invited by Formula One, by the FIA, by the drivers and teams, uh, or maybe just bought a ticket and want to go show off. It's, you know, poor old Martin Brundle doing his grid walk <laughs> for Sky TV is going to be, what does the military call it? A target-rich environment. Yeah, and Chris Medlin with his microphone for us. Chris is a little right. more in tune with the uh, with the celebrity crowd. I think it's just probably right. the chronological <laughs> difference there, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, he'll know who the rappers and the athletes are. Martin will know the drivers, and that's about <laughs> it, I guess. Well, we got a good show for you guys tonight because we have a couple of we have one live guest. I'm really excited about Tim Mayer. He is an FIA delegate for the F for F1. And he is, he's been with us a couple times, but uh, he's out in Vegas now. And I was really excited to have him on because we're going to talk to him about the challenges of a new venue, a new race like this. Because he, like I think in your nose, Bob, you talked about he's done this before in Miami. But, yeah. but probably not like this on this magnitude and under such a magnifying oh, no. glass that, uh, that Vegas right. is. Yeah, I'm sure he's been watching all the preparations. He's been there for over a week. All the preparations for this event. When you say he worked on Miami, he actually built the course back in 2015 for the Formula E one and only visit to Miami, uh, oh, okay. and it was a it was a life changing experience for him to be sure. Well, also, what's that? And not in a good way. Oh yeah, yeah. And also, we have an interview with the Las Vegas CEO Renee Wilm, and this is an interview that Chris Medlin did uh, for. SXM Wheel to Wheel show that he and I do. And so it's a fascinating interview with her because she talks about all sorts of things, including the, how they chose the start time and the impact to the 
the, the local area. Uh, I mean, it's really fascinating. And, and she talks also about how they have this new headquarters, essentially, for Formula One in the United States, this 39 acres they mm-hmm. bought right there off the strip that, that's part, where they have the, the new pit and paddock building now. And it was, what is it, 300,000 square foot building? So uh, that's going to be interesting to see because they say it's going to be used year round. I, I don't know what all they're going to do there, but I guess we'll find out pretty soon, Bob. Yeah, I've heard uh, rumors of a driving school, um, convention facilities, you know, meeting facilities for all and sundry, any kind of business that wants to rent space, lots of Formula One or, or just racing themed events would be appropriate. So, you know, much like Circuit of the Americas, you know, it's built to be used day in and day out. So it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. Yeah, they said that this is, it's a four-story, 300,000 square foot building. I mean, just, as they say, it's the largest in in Formula One right now. So, uh, I mean, just an amazing investment that they've done. I think they said that was like a $500 million investment just for that. So pretty, pretty incredible. I, I'm, I'm really excited to see this and see, uh, see what all they've mm-hmm. got in this thing. Yeah. They're leasing the sphere, the, the world famous, um, you know, picture globe uh, there <laughs> in Las Vegas. U2 has suspended its residency of regular concerts because formula one has uh, leased the place for its own purposes and uh, I'm sure whatever they put up on all of those projection screens will be spectacular. And the track goes right around the base of the thing. It's going to be really cool. Yeah. And, you know, this track, 6.1 kilometers, making it the third longest on the calendar behind Spa and Saudi Arabia uh, Jetta Circuit. Right. So, I mean, that's yeah. and that long straight. I mean, this is we're going to see some good top speeds, too. Like, <clears throat> I think I saw 210 plus miles an hour. So, yeah, they're expecting a 2.12 uh, lap time around 1.33. Um, the, uh, I was talking with a friend from the TV side of Formula One today, and he said, imagine spending all that money for one of those grandstand seats. And they're going to have grandstands that run basically the length of this 1.1 mile straightaway down the strip. Uh, you spend all this money, and the cars are going to be, <laughs> and then you wait another minute, they come around again. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it, it's just, uh, mind boggling. I'm well, really looking forward to it. Okay. So think about that lap time, that lap time, 133, that's basically the same as Coda, but Coda's mm-hmm. only five and a half kilometers versus 6.1 here. So yeah. I'm much higher average speed. In, yeah. 3.8 miles in real money. And, uh, yeah, yeah a long, as I said, 1.1 miles straight away makes up you know, a, a third of the total length of the racetrack. Um, and then there are some, uh, there's some tight corners, some hairpins, some 90 degrees, but there's also some really fast that, that semicircle around sphere that I talked about is going to be pretty spectacular. It, um, reminds me a little, reminds me a little bit of a uh, Sochi in Russia, which had one of these long left-handers leading onto the front, uh, straight away, which included, of course, the pit entrance, which was a bit of a problem for a while. But anyway, uh, Tim will know all about it. I'm sure he'll be able to give us the latest scoop. Well, and I was reading about this fear and how they weren't sure when they started this whole project a couple of years ago 
as it came together, as they realized the sphere was going to be finished right about the same time at the race, they weren't sure how they were going to integrate it because because it's inside the the track, right? So, um, yes. so they were like, okay, how are we going to, you know, integrate this, and how are we going to have a, you know, all this television coverage without this giant picture ball, as you called it? I think it's a good description being a part of it. Right. So. I think they negotiated. In fact, I know they did. I saw a quote from Liberty Media CEO Greg Maffei talking about how they negotiated some sort of agreement to where they would integrate it into the F1 show. And of course, right. you too, like you mentioned, they're they're uh, suspending their their run there. And so, mm-hmm. and by the way, did you see the YouTube clip of uh, Bono from U2? talking about Formula One, he was basically ending the last show that they were going to, you know, while they suspended. And he said, and we're going to give back the sphere for a few weeks to Formula One. And then he went on to to talk about Formula One for a couple of minutes and comparing the band members of U2 to specific drivers, like he compared himself to Daniel Ricciardo. I thought that was funny. Did you see that? No, I didn't. But it is interesting to think about which driver and member of the band uh, are most alike. I'm yeah. not sure I'd go with Danny Rick for you to for Bono, but uh, hmm, yeah, hard to say. I'm going to give that some thought. We can have some fun with that. Uh, one thing I will say about the track, because I'm, I'm as the PA announcer, I'm deeply involved in the logistics. Uh, this is not a walking racetrack the way Monza or Spa or some of the classics are. Um, you you go to a place that you've reserved. And that's where you stay because it's so hard to get around this track with closed streets and security and all that kind of thing. We're actually dividing our group, um, and it's a pretty big cast of the, uh, call it the big screen shows, uh, and everybody will have their station, and you go to that station, and that's where you live. You're on an island. So there's none of this, uh, like um, uh, Martin going around the racetrack. Okay, now I'm at Turner 4. Now I'm at turn 9. Uh-uh. That ain't going to happen at this track. <laughs> yeah, well, I uh, I can't wait to get out there and see it. All right, well, let's get a, a quick break in. When we come back, we'll be joined by our guest, Tim Mayer, FIE steward for Formula 1. Back after these messages. All right, we're still live on YouTube, Facebook. Let's check in with the boys and girls out there. Uh, Brian says, first time or forever, you remember to tune in live. Hey, Brian. Paul Hello, says, Brian. Paul says, uh, good evening and thank you for the show, gentlemen. You are welcome, Paul. Thanks for tuning in. Kevin Kelly says, Vegas, baby. Yep, that's how we feel, KK. Yeah. Uh, Chris says, F1 having total control of the sphere. That should be interesting. Yeah. Andy P is with us tonight. Evening, guys. I read the Sphere is going to host what they're calling, I saw this, Andy, a recovery brunch on Sunday morning after the sun comes back up. That's Vegas, he says. Great idea. Great idea. Wonder if any of the hotels will be offering that. In other words, your hotel, Bob? (laughs) Yeah, right. Hey, you know, speaking of that, um, I'm in the Flamingo, and I'm right on the track. I have no idea... Mm -hmm. We requested it to be a, a room where you could see the track, but we'll see. That cost extra. Yeah. 
Hello to everyone. This is Gunter Steiner. This is Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right, welcome back to your Sunday Night with Speed City. We are going to be joined by FIA F1 steward Tim Mayer shortly. He is in Las Vegas, still waiting on him to join us. But in the meantime, we are talking Las Vegas because that's what's up next for Formula One. And Bob and I will be there. Jonathan Green will be there. Jonathan's not with us tonight because he was doing something really cool. He's just getting off the mic, probably. He is... It's funny, that yeah. clip you just played, Casey, our producer, that is from the Macau Grand Prix in like 2018. That's where that huge pileup of cars in that little tight little corner. And that video has been viewed, I last time I checked, like uh, like 15 million times. But and, and that's going on right now. Macau isn't it, or is it coming up soon? Yeah. But Jonathan's yeah, not there. Weekend, yeah, he's actually at nope. the um, the Velocity Invitational, which is a really cool event out in California. And uh, the McLaren team's <clears throat> out there, Zach Brown. They've got a couple of McLaren F1 cars. So that's where Jonathan is. And he's yeah, just about the six of them. Yeah. Yeah, Jonathan's and, got his, uh, his work cut out. Bobby's been uh, eight hours a day live on YouTube. Oof. Yeah, it's a huge vintage car festival, but the McLaren is definitely the theme this year for their 60th anniversary. And Zach Brown, his own self, has a fabulous collection of cars, including a an M6 McLaren Can-Am car, uh, a bunch of uh, pristine uh, McLarens from the Senna Prost years and the James Hunt years. Um and he's got a, uh, he's got some Williams. He's got some FW07, like the kind that raced in 1982 in Las Vegas um, when Alan Pross won a world championship. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's an amazing event. I mean, it's it's it's, uh, and they've got all these different classes of racing, and you know, the racing it's surprisingly spirited. But uh, all right, well, let's get back to uh, to F1 because we're talking Las Vegas. And um, a couple more things that I wanted to bring up before Tim joins us is I was reading about how there's a bit of a quirk on the starting grid, right? Where it's it's formed on a slight curve rather than being dead straight. And I know that, Bob, have you ever heard of, are there any other circuits you can think of that have that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there are other ones. Uh, Spa-Francorchamps, for example, is not only slightly curved, it's uphill. Yeah, and that's how I got I got a comment in a uh, novelty item called the 365 dumbest things ever said on television. One of these tear off calendars. Every day you got a different dumb thing. So many years ago, I was trying to be cute. This was back in the Schumacher years. When we were on uh, Speed Vision, I guess, uh, if not ESPN, and uh, I tried to be cute and I said, "Okay, now the drivers are coming to the line. It's uphill." So they have to have one foot on the clutch, one foot on the brake, and one foot on the gas. <laughs> and I thought, I wonder if anybody got the joke. But whoever compiled this calendar thought that was one of the dumbest things they'd ever heard. So that's my little my little taste of immortality. Hey, that's their problem but, for not having a sense of humor as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, Brazil is also uphill and also slightly curved. And we were just there uh, a week ago. Uh, and there are others. Some of them no longer on the schedule, but there have been some. Um, Monaco is slightly curved. Yeah. Uh, 
before you head down to Sandoval. So no, it's not unusual. Well, back to Vegas, I was thinking about, you mentioned it, but I want to just reiterate this. This is a quote from Greg Maffei, who's the Liberty Media CEO. He said, we estimate that the total economic impact that we'll bring to Las Vegas will be about $1.2 billion with a B. And if I believe that based on several things, and the number one thing is comparison to Austin. Because, you know, we've been here on the ground watching this happen for 11, 12 years now. And the economic impact that CODA brings back in about 2016, you know, we've got other big events here like South by Southwest, ACL. Well, South by Southwest did a uh, had a study done. I think it was this company called Gray Hill Advisors. Anyway, so they had a study done and everybody in the city and everybody else was uh, touting this economic impact. So Bobby Epstein, you know, chairman of CODA, smartly called up the exact same company and said, I want the exact same economic impact study done for CODA. And I want it done for the F1 weekend or week and the year round. And this was, you know, CODA at different times had different things, including IndyCar and MotoGP, pretty much a staple and some others. But he said, let's do it both. And he's done it a few times, at least twice that I know of. And each time the race comes back at at least a half a billion, if not a little more. I think the last number I saw was like six hundred and fifty million. And then Coda, as an a as a um, as a venue, has an economic impact of about a about a billion dollars. So as much hype has been talked about Vegas, and as much money as as F one themselves has brought into this, you know, with their investment in Las Vegas, I think that $1.2 billion number is very believable. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, you know, this is, this is a huge event. Um, and I don't know, I was, I was doing something else when you were speaking. I don't know if you mentioned that this is a slow time of year in Vegas. And uh, yeah. they're estimating 60,000 hotel rooms are going to be occupied. Uh, you know, any... Any boost in the local economy is a good one, but I think this is going to be a pretty significant one. Well, yeah, I think I think that's an understatement. I think this is going to be insane. So uh, I, you know, I mean the the amount of money that they're going to pump into this thing is going to be crazy. But um, here's another cool fact, Bob. The yes, the uh, Vegas is known for the bright neon lights at night, but F1 brought in an additional 1,750 temporary lights around the fringes of the circuit. So that I thought that was a cool little oh, yeah. snippet. Yeah, bit that's there. A, yeah, that's a, a really fascinating technology. It's been used before. Certainly oval tracks have been uh, illuminated for, uh, for many years now. But you think about places like Singapore, which every year they put up, you know, a couple of thousand of these lights aimed from above in such a way that they don't, never get in the driver's eyes uh and it's a very uh it's a very interesting technique um and i know some folks uh, are worried about it i've seen on the internet oh how are the drivers gonna gonna be able to see with lights in their eyes well they're not gonna be in their eyes and the drivers will be fine yeah and somebody mentioned i saw on twitter or somewhere talking about you know there's been the some criticism you can't you know you know you're not doing something right if you don't get some criticism. Some of the criticism we've all heard, you know, the, the crazy part that I heard was the temperatures, right? Oh, my gosh, it could be below freezing. Well, I mean, 
I, every forecast I've seen, it's going to be in the low 50s, maybe the upper 40s, which, yes, is very cold. What? How, similar to Montreal, maybe. But um, but I've seen all sorts of criticism, and one of them was, oh, this is just – they just put it – they wanted to have it at night and this just for the show of it. And I'm like – and actually, I, I saw a tweet from uh, Sean Kelly, Statman. He said, uh, you mean like Singapore, which is on many people's bucket list? And for mm-hmm. for very much that same reason. So I said, okay, yeah, I can I can believe that. So uh, I'm looking at a couple of comments on YouTube that I thought I would bring into the show, the live show here now. And what do you think about Chris? Says, what do you think about Las Vegas having no support races? I couldn't believe it. No extra rubber when we needed it because of low temps plus a bit sad for spectators, I think. Yeah, and you know what? I I think those are both good observation, Chris. And I don't know, Bob. I haven't heard why. Um, maybe you know. I'm thinking about support paddocks, places like and things like that. Although this one is huge. Uh, but have you heard anything, Bob, about why where there's no other support races? Uh, no, but I suspect it's not official. But I suspect. The city wasn't going to allow the streets, specifically Las Vegas Boulevard, the strip, to be closed any longer than what Formula One is yeah. closing it for its three practices qualifying in the race. Uh, I've mentioned before on our air, on our um, uh, Grand Prix weekend shows, that the city is requiring the organizers to reopen the streets after every session which involves moving 380 concrete barriers and fencing and all these other materials in about a two-hour time frame. And then they'll have to rebuild that part of the racetrack so the uh, Formula One cars can go out again. It's um, it, There's a lot that needs to be done to satisfy uh, the varying uh, stakeholders in this event, uh, including the city. So I suspect they don't want these roads closed any longer than they need to be. Yeah, I think you're right. That makes total sense because there was so much discussion about that, how they've built bridges and everything to keep the traffic flowing. And that was one of the biggest challenges, I think. And and we've got uh, we've got this interview with uh, Las Vegas CEO uh, Renee Wilm. In fact, I think, Casey, I think I want to um, I think I want to go to a quick break. We're, we're still waiting on Tim, but I think I want to go to get quick break. And depending on what Tim's schedule is, we may go straight to that interview. But let's get a break in now. You're listening to Sunday Night with Speed City, talking Las Vegas GP, back after a quick break. All right, Bob, you keep working on catch, uh, reaching Tim, and I will read some YouTube comments. Andy P, okay. uh, I had not heard about support races, but I imagine it's because they're reopening attractive public. Yeah, yeah, that's Andy P's spot on. Yep. Uh, David Lawrence, $1.2 billion is a bit overstated. Yeah, I, I understand why you think that. And had I not heard so much discussion about that here locally, that COTA was a billion-dollar impact, you know, I know these numbers, and the studies are paid for by, you know, by COTA, but – if anything is it, it, comparing it to Coda, then 1.2 is believable. And I don't know, you know, remember Las Vegas, I mean, uh, F1 spent $500 million on the 39 acres and the giant building they built there, too. So I think that's possible. 
Um, David Lawrence, read somewhere that race and hotel prices have been slashed and the drop in prices won't affect, affect the economic impact of the race, supposedly not as because everyone's not there for the race. Um, I'll tell you what, David, I got I, – I shopped for hotels early, and they were more expensive, and I think it was a bit like what we see here in Austin and where, like, my sister has some – Airbnbs here in Austin, and everybody tries to raise the, especially in the early years, first few years, everybody raised their prices crazy, like, you know, ten thousand dollars for a two-bedroom house for the weekend, and then by the time you know they hadn't sold it, and as the race got closer, everybody lowered their prices. I think it could have been some of that, a little bit of a money grab. And David also says, "Wish for this race it would start at eight p.m. Pacific instead of ten p.m." Yeah, we'll talk about that because. Las Vegas CEO Renee Willem talks about that time. And I mean, the short answer for me is, is that you're, I don't care what time you choose, somebody's not going to be happy. So we will, uh, all right, we're coming back. Hi, this is Karun Chandok, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right, we're getting excited for Las Vegas. Bob Varsha, Jonathan Green, and myself will be out there. Bob and Jonathan will be on the PA, joined by Connor Daly. And I'll be out there doing all the radio for us, and we'll have our normal schedule. We are going to do a two-hour pre-qualifying show. So um, tune in for that and go to our website, speedcitybroadcast.com and check out all the schedule, what we're going to do, our normal pre-race, post-race with the BBC in between, and um, check it out, and we'll be out there doing all that. All right, uh, we are going to go to this interview that Chris Medlin did for SXM Wheel to Wheel with the CEO of the Las Vegas Grand Prix, Renee Wilm. Let's hear from that now. The partnership that has been shown by Public Works, Clark County Commissioners, and all of the local residents in tolerating the inconvenience we have, um, we've caused, it, we really can't thank them all enough for that. Yeah, I mean, it's some undertaking, isn't it, trying to do it exactly where you're doing it as well. I mean, what have been the biggest challenges so far that you've faced in terms of putting everything together that you've been dealing with? Oh, absolutely. So this project has been, you know, sort of fully underway for about two years now, um, and there's no playbook for what we're doing. Yeah. There are other calendar, there's other races on our calendar, which are street races. Obviously, there's Monaco, there's Singapore, both absolutely, you know, epic, legendary races. Um, but this is a living, breathing city that is alive 24 hours a day, doors never shut. And to try to shut down 3.8 miles um, and, in, and really encapsulate more than 60,000 hotel rooms and workers and guests, um, it's just an undertaking that um, has been truly extraordinary. And without just the incredible team that we have on the ground and the partnerships from all the local stakeholders, this never could have been possible. Well, yeah, you, you're kind of preempting a couple of questions there, which is uh, helpful, because I was going to say, have you been looking at the other events on the calendar and like visited many of them to kind of see how they deal with similar challenges? Oh, absolutely. And I think one of the benefits that we had um, being the shareholder, Liberty Media of Formula One, and having access to some of the best practices that have taken place around our calendar. Um, when you look at the level of hospitality in Singapore and you look at the, you know, just how the streets are constructed in Monaco, um, you look at some of the other 
Miami, right? That truly American flair to bringing a new race to North America. We've been really able to call upon all of those um, elements that we found, you know, to be incredibly endearing, um, but then also bring our own twist to it and highlighting everything that Las Vegas has to offer as a town. Well, when you pull it all together, though, you mentioned you've got Vegas and there's been other huge events in Vegas in the past. There's Liberty and the knowledge of, of events there and uh, certainly sporting events. Like, has it been a case of also looking at other events outside of Formula One to try and bring things in? Oh, absolutely. Um, so quite honestly, the Super Bowl has been in very much um, an inspiration for what we're going to be doing. You look at the halftime show, a um, little bit of, you know, a little bit to come, but around our opening ceremonies, which are going to be truly, truly amazing. Um, and really bringing that high level of VVIP experience um, and, you know, Vegas unique entertainment um, to a race weekend is something that's going to be incredibly unique about our race and help us to celebrate the locality where we are racing. Yeah, I mean, how much have you had to lean into that? And how much have you had to almost ignore, I guess, outside noise from, I don't want to say traditional fans, but people are like, oh, well, that's not Formula One, because you're trying to do your own event here. So how much have you had to really kind of uh, attack that? Sure. So from day one, it has been absolutely a balancing act of ensuring that we are embracing our legacy fans that have been with us for decades, while also welcoming a whole new generation of fans that we have been able to attract. And that's through, of course, Drive to Survive. It's also through opening up social media to the drivers. They are fabulous on social media. You now have a whole younger demographic, a more female demographic in our fan base. And we are really looking to balance our interest in both of those demographics to really bring everyone together in celebration of our sport. An example is our race time. It was carefully negotiated to be 10 p.m. so that we could allow our legacy fans in Europe to wake up and watch the race with a cup of coffee, as we do here in America for overseas races, while also having a time that was early enough or late enough in America that we could really get as many fans, both present in person as well as viewing, as we could. Yeah, it must have been a, a tough balance to strike, cause, yeah, but the uh, the American fans do have to put up with a lot of early alarms, I know. Um, yes, but, as, as you but it's it worth it. Yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully. So um, try and put on some good races elsewhere. But uh, how big has the list of stakeholders been that you've had to work with in the sense of not just physically putting on the race, but as you say, this stuff around it as well? So we have really endeavored to be a good neighbor um, to all of the local stakeholders of Las Vegas. Um, Obviously, we have our founding partnerships, which are very, very important to us. They helped us gain entree into Las Vegas. Um, you know, you have MGM, you have Wynn, Caesars, the Las, uh, LVCBA, Las Vegas Convention Center and Authority. Uh, they were instrumental in getting us to the point where we could get on the Cosmo pool deck and make our big announcement. Um, seems like yesterday, and it was actually quite a while ago now. Uh, but working really hand in glove with everyone to ensure that we are being responsive to concerns, whether that's around moving employees while the hot tracks are, while the hot track um, is in place, which means the streets are closed. Uh, working with our neighbors at Top Golf, we're landing a vehicular bridge in their parking lot. Um, that's no small inconvenience, but we needed to create these temporary bridges um, to allow vehicles to continue to flow, to allow pedestrians to flow. Um, and honestly, I cannot really. I cannot overstate how important Metro and fire has been in this whole process because safety is of the utmost importance to us, not just for our drivers and our ecosystem, but also for our fans and just for those who are in Las Vegas this weekend and maybe not attending our race. So very strong priority put on safety and security in partnership with the locals. 
And then Clark County commissioners and public works were one of my first stops when I started coming to Las Vegas to ensure we had their buy-in to hold this epic event and when them really kind of take it from there once those doors opened. Personal question, does Top, Top Golf stay open? Because I had plans to be there at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Top Golf will be open. Brilliant. <laughs> Sorry. We're, we're, we're always straight to Top Golf when we come to the stage. Um, but it's, then... a, it's a great venue. And what's, what's great about the location of Top Golf, it is Caddy Corner to our 39 acres on Home and Koval, which will be the year round home of Formula One in North America. And we are looking to activate that building on a year round basis to celebrate everything that Formula One has brought to our country and create really unique daytime opportunities. So you can spend half your day at Top Golf and half your day at our building and then go enjoy some entertainment on the strip. <laughs> I think Top Golf and Formula One have, have formed a partnership of some sort, it sounds like to me, but that was fascinating. And thanks to Chris Medlin to get that for us, uh, catch up with Renee Wilm. And we are very excited to welcome our next guest because he has joined us from the Las Vegas circuit. FIA Seward, Tim Mayer. Hi, Tim. Welcome back to Speed City. How are you? It's great to be with you. Well, we're excited to have you. It looks like you've got your safety vest. You must have just come <laughs> off the track. I literally have. We've um, we've been setting up all day. All of the teams are beginning to roll in here. The, the F1 people from Europe and the FIA has just uh, started coming in, and we're setting up. The, the track itself is, uh, I'd say it's about... 70% complete. Um, there are some bits and pieces of, of wall that need to go in in the next couple of days. Um, and then, you know, we're setting up the paddock and everybody's getting the garages all set up. The freight is here. So the, the cars and all the equipment is here and, and the excitement is really building. Well, I, I imagine it is. I May just, I, John? Yeah, I was just going to say, if people don't know who Tim is, uh, Tim... I was, I've not been able to be with us when you've been on the show before, and I was just researching your bio, and honestly, <laughs> it would take us 10 minutes to read just your motorsports bio. I mean, it is, you have an amazing career and an amazing legacy in the sport with your dad being co-founder of McLaren and your time at IMSA and all throughout Formula One and in the FIA. It's, it's really amazing. And, uh, I'm just honored to have you with us. <laughs> well, thank you. It, it's um, I am very lucky. I am one of those people that gets to make a living out of my passion. Um, my my wife accuses me of enjoying my job entirely too much, <laughs> and and it's true. It's it's a it's a wonderful job. Here at Las Vegas, I am what's known as the sporting organizer. So I'm responsible for all of the 600 marshals that will be around the racetrack. Uh, in conjunction with Renee and her team here at uh, Las Vegas Grand Prix, I'm, I'm in charge of the medical uh, piece of it, the rest on-track rescue side. Um, and we've had a wonderful partnership with Clark County Fire Department in setting up that team along with some experienced people. And, um, and, and all of the race control team falls under me as well. So. I, you know, I'm all things sporting. If it touches the racetrack, I've got at least one finger in that pie. And then, uh, as you've noted in introducing me, um, my daily job, as it were, with the FIA is that I am one of the chairman of the stewards for the, the races when they're outside of the U.S. So the sporting organizer inside and steward outside. So I assume from that, Tim, you will not be on the steward panel for Sunday's race. 
I will not. I will okay. have other responsibilities. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm quite pleased not to have to do that here. It's, it's a, a lot going on. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, back in 2015, you were working for uh, uh, Andretti Green, I believe it was, organizing and actually building the race course for Formula E's visit to Miami, Florida. Yep. And I remember seeing you then and chatting briefly, and I, I realized the tremendous pressure you were under to meet all of the challenges of carving a, um, you know, a, a, a safe and legal, for lack of a better phrase, um, racing circuit out of public streets. Uh, can give us some idea of the challenges that the team has faced pulling the Las Vegas circuit together? Well, I, I think what is it is actually impossible to understate the level of difficulty that these guys have have undertaken um, to put this together. Uh, you know, Las Vegas is one of the busiest cities. They've chosen to put the racetrack in the busiest part of that busy city. Um, and to be able to work with each of the the partners, as they, as they are fond of calling them, the, the hotels and the properties around the, the, the track, to arrange uh, all of the things that need to happen. There are, I think, 26 or 28,000 hotel rooms inside the track, inside the track. Then you've got all the ones around the outside uh, of the racetrack as well. And every one of those properties needs to be able to get the laundry done each day. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I know literally, literally, mm -hmm. I mean, I know that sounds like it's a, uh, a, a small thing, but in fact, um, you know, that is, you know, down to the detail of, of which they have had to work with each of these properties to make sure, you know, when is, when is shift change for the, for their associates who work in the hotels, when, how are they going to get people in and out? They have built six full scale, bridges here, road bridges, temporarily in order to accommodate traffic in and out. It, it, each one of these bridges is a massive engineering uh, feat that they have undertaken here. It, it's, it's just, it, it is actually mind boggling. As, as you say, Bob, I, I did Miami. Uh, I did the Baltimore Grand Prix for, um, for IndyCar and, and for sports car racing back in the day. I mean, I've done a number of these, these in, inner city races. Um, and so I faced many of the challenges they have here. It's just everything here is times 10 or times 100. It, it is just remarkable what they've done. Mm. What um, it, it, you mentioned 600 marshals and and other uh, important personnel. Let's start with the marshals. Where are they all coming from? Since Las Vegas isn't a city with, uh, you know, a big road racing legacy. Well, the marshals are coming from as far away as Washington State on one end and Florida on the other. And I don't know if we've got anybody from Maine, but we may well have and, and, and California on the other. So all across the country, these these 600 marshals have have gathered. We we um, we did a pretty rigorous selection uh, process along with the, the race operations team here at Las Vegas Grand Prix. Um, they had some additional requirements which were unusual um, insofar as everybody had to go through a background check, everybody had to go through all these various hurdles that you wouldn't necessarily if you were racing it at a mid-Ohio or a Daytona, just because this is just such a high visibility uh, event 
And um, I mean, so all of these people, we had a little over 2,500 people apply for those 600 positions, and we've been working ever since to to get them. And we have started training a a small group here so far, but it's going to grow of homegrown marshals from here in Las Vegas. And we had a veterans group that that came together and and volunteered. And so um, two weeks ago, I and a group of other people were out here training them. It, it was a it was a wonderful experience. And I just mentioned that because today is Veterans Day. So I I want to uh, say thank you to all the veterans. I'm, I'm a proud veteran myself. So um, it, it's it was really nice to have those people come in and, and be part of the group. That's great. Well, thanks for your service, Tim, on that. And uh, I, I, you're thinking about you're talking about these 600 people. Uh, are there any Obviously, there's lots of specific things for Las Vegas. Are there any intriguing things that you've been talking about that that you have to train them that is, that are are unusual for Las Vegas? Well, the biggest thing is to ignore the casino that's going <laughs> a full gun right behind them. Um, it's it's quite uh, quite something. We actually the the majority of our um, folks are are at a uh, hotel that's here on the Strip. Um, that we've we've put all of them in uh, for logistics reasons, um, so we're hoping that they'll all um, that, that they'll <laughs> all be fine when we we pick them up each, each day. I, I you know the biggest thing here is the is the uh, hours that that we're doing this. Um, you know the day for the marshals and for most people here will start around noon, um, and then they will be back to their hotel rooms about three in the morning. So it's it's not a I wouldn't say the hours are all that fun. Um, And and my team here for race control has already started. We we did a two hour time shift yesterday and we've done another two hour time shift today. And we'll we'll be back to starting at noon uh, from here on out the rest of the week. So the bit that's the biggest um, thing. But but in in some ways, I, I like to say this is only a motor race. Um, it, it, it is fundamentally going to be run with cars with four wheels on them. Um, it's the same Formula One cars we had, you know, to just three or four weeks ago in Austin. Um, so it, it, it's not uh, it's not all that different for us, other than the location. Hmm. Uh, there's a couple. Have there qu- been any? Bob, I was just going to say there's a couple of questions from YouTube. David Lawrence says um, he wants to ask Tim. He says. With the track under such strict guidelines, has there been given a time frame for the track walk before Thursday evening's FP1? Uh, for the teams, yes. Uh, it's actually not on Thursday before FP1, which is the normal, would be the normal time. Um, we have a, a time carved out for the teams to, to do their normal uh, track walk. I'm, I'm, um, I, I'm, fudging on the time because I don't have it memorized. <laughs> um, but but it is different from the normal track walk that they would do. And and that's simply because of trying to accommodate traffic. One of one of the really um, amazing things that has to happen here is that the track is going to be closed uh, each day with, um, uh, you know, we've got about 350 concrete blocks that have to be placed right before the racing happens and and all the associated bits and pieces with that and then uh right after racing we pull all that out and we do that every day so uh the strip will be open to traffic um the majority of the day 
And uh, that, that is a huge logistics um, operation that Renee and, and, and her team have put together. So are they going to be able to do that? Because we've talked about it on our air before. Uh, this this extraordinary circumstance, they need to open and close uh, the racetrack twice a day. Well, they, they have a remarkable construction crew here. Um, it, it has been a genuine pleasure to get to know those guys. Um, they had a, a parking lot uh, relatively close to the track here where they laid out sections of track. They chalk marked it on the ground and they have been practicing building and unbuilding those sections of the track and it, it's they've got it down uh, well within the time period that that we need um so so i'm pretty confident it's all going to happen in uh, in time i know you're probably spending a lot of time with the race director niels vidich um has anything come up that he wants to see uh included in the design of this racing circuit that perhaps wasn't previously anticipated? Well, the the design and the, the process by which we come to a, a track design um, is a very, very long process. Um, this really, this track uh, design was proposed about two years ago, um, and it has gone through multiple iterations. Um, we, we, we the FIA has a circuits commission, which I'm a, a, a member of, uh, multiple inspectors. Uh, I'm a, a track inspector for the FIA, and as are a number of other people here in the U.S. And uh, Tilka Track Design, uh, Tilka Engineering has been involved in designing the circuit. Um, and so we have drawings that are literally accurate down to an inch or two. Um, and uh, so at this point, there isn't much tolerance for change. Um, Niels has been out here. Well, he was the last time he was out here was during the week of Austin. He and I flew out here with Paul Walter, our uh, clerk of the course. And um, the three of us walked around with the Tilka people and with the uh, with the Las Vegas Grand Prix people. And we sort of pointed at the ground and said, you know, that could change or that could change. But we were literally talking about an inch or two one way or another we were not wow. i mean this thing has been the tolerances here are unlike anything i've ever seen um and and it's it, it has been a remarkable job um i mean every single block has a uh, has a marking on the ground that shows exactly where it goes and they've been laying these blocks down as they say within an inch or two but, oh, wow Tim, that's amazing is that just the fact that technology keeps moving on and they have the tools to do that now, or is it something specific about Vegas? Well, it's both. Um, the, the tools have, I mean, back in the old days, you know, if it, we'd, we'd get a yardstick out and <laughs> if it was, you know, plus or minus a yard, it was all good, right? But uh, I mean, now with with modern GPS and, and all that kind of stuff, they, they're able to mark all this stuff out. And in the uh, in the CAD drawings for this, every block is placed in the CAD, um, just as if you were designing a super tanker. This thing is is you know it's a it's a four and a half mile track. It's it requires that level of precision, and um, you know particularly since the goal here is to be good partners with the city, so uh, to keep as many traffic lanes open, to keep everything um, flowing in the city as much as possible. 
you know, there's been a lot of construction here, which which has certainly um, caused some traffic snarls uh, here and there. Um, and that's because they've laid an entirely new racetrack down here, um, four and a half miles of, of the most unbelievably perfect paving you can imagine uh, here in the streets of Las Vegas. So that, so that has been an added thing. But in the future years, you won't see that that have to be done again and again. And, and it'll just be laying down, uh, you know, the, the, the block. And, and so that part of it has actually not been really as disruptive as the as the uh, paving and asphalt uh, might have been. Um, but I mean, just the coordination between Clark County, City of Las Vegas, um, the works department, the the you know all of the permitting people that have to be involved, all of the properties around here. It's just been, it's been quite. I, I mean, it'll be something I remember, and I'll bore my grandkids with these stories back when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> that, I, there's a comment on YouTube. David Lawrence says this is some amazing insight, and he says, and even amazing is selling it short. I, I'm I'm feeling the same way, Tim. I'm thinking about. That data that you're talking about, they probably share that with the teams for simulators for drivers. They're probably at some point that may trickle down to the F1 game for people. I can imagine all that data just being all over the place like that. Well, I can tell you for an absolute certainty that it that you know F1's official game has already been out here. They've already laser surveyed the racetrack um and so every ripple and every uh everything that that <laughs> is out here will be in that game um you know i i have uh friends who uh are uh own a restaurant here and um every restaurant has been faithfully recreated <laughs> in the game every uh you know wow Everything. So uh, I'll, I'll put a shout, shout out for my friends at the Taco Bell Cantina. Uh, <laughs> Thought you were going to say Guy Fieri. But okay. No, no, I, 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 Bob, I'm not that fancy, but <laughs> I'm more of a Taco Bell guy. Okay. Hey, Let up. me ask you about the uh, racing surface. How's it? How's it shaping up? It's... We all know what happens at temporary circuits sometimes. Well, I mean, it, it is dirty. We have a, we, I mean, it, the, well, let me back up. The, the, the surface itself is, is the most perfectly laid surface I've ever seen. We did about two months ago, identify a six millimeter um, bump on the track, uh, which if you were at Austin, uh, you'd be happy. A six millimeter yeah. bump is the smallest bump they've got there. But but here, they decided that they were going to pull out the that piece of asphalt, relay it, um, and we literally came back a month later and we couldn't tell where the the patch started and and ended. It was it's just a remarkable job. They've got a company here called Las Vegas Paving that's been one of the the contractors and and they've been superstars. Uh, they work with with Penta Engineering, which has been the general contractor here, and um, they've got a guy called Terry Miller who's who's um, ma manages the whole of the construction here, and his um, his team has managed. To, I mean, this building I'm sitting in right now did not even <laughs> exist ten months ago. I mean, and it is enormous. I, the The pit building is the largest pit building in Formula One. Um, and it is, it's enormous. It is 
beautiful. Um, my little office here is as nice an office as I could possibly hope to have. But I mean, I can tell you, this is this is a remarkable building. And I know Renee has mentioned that they plan to make this kind of the capital of of Formula One here going forward. Um, it'll be a great place to come visit. Uh, I, you answered one of my questions. I was looking at your office thinking, I want to know about the rest of it. But here's another good question off YouTube. Chris says, uh, do you know if the track needs to be clean, specifically cleaned every day because of the normal traffic using it? Yes. So we have, it's somewhere in the region of 35, 40 vehicles that, that will be involved in that cleaning. So there are things we call cyclones, which are uh, deep water jet cleaning. So down into the pores, we have your normal track sweeper for the folks who uh, who who fell over and dropped their uh, margarita on the track <laughs> will sweep those cups up, um, and and believe me, I've been walking around the track. I've gotten my steps in, and and, and there are one or two margarita glasses out here on the uh, on the track. I'll bet. <laughs> um, um, mostly empty. Uh, I could have used one <laughs> right about noon today, but um, we. we <laughs> So yes, there is a there is a very very thorough plan to clean up the surface each day, um, and and it, it's one of the bigger challenges here. It's <laughs> funny. Six Jimmy Kimmel, by the way, is less. Yeah, Jimmy Kimball joked about exactly what you said. There's going to be people with margaritas walking around. Be careful. Uh, <laughs> we are almost out of time. Tim is a quarter of an inch. Yep. Yeah, that's amazing. That's incredible that they're they're focused on such a like you said. Compare that to Austin or many other circuits actually that you know that have natural bumps over the years. But well, Tim, can, can I get one more question in, John? Yes, we have about uh, about a minute and a half. So quick, quick question, okay. quick answer. Real short, but it's a tough question, Tim. Given all that's going into this and all that Las Vegas is going to be as a stop on the Formula One calendar. What does this mean for the rest of the calendar and all those far-flung circuits around the world that are so much a part of Formula One? Well, I think that uh, the ambition of Formula One and Liberty Media is to show the way, to show people how to entertain a crowd. At the end of the day, for me, this is just a, a racetrack. This is another racetrack. But for them, it's the idea is to... to showcase the sport to show what you can do as a promoter how much you can put into it and i think uh you know i think all around the world people are going to be more and more entertained as they go to these races their their race ticket will be more valuable i mean i think austin has shown that they've done a great job so has miami so uh i think the u.s our, our showbiz expertise is is showing tim mayor you Excellent. have been one of our most fascinating guests every time. We are a bunch of just a bunch of racing geeks here. So what you have yeah. for us every time is amazing. And I want to thank you so much for coming on. And of course, Bob will be there uh, in a day or two, and so will I. So maybe we'll see you, but I know you're busy during the weekend. So, but but thank you so much for coming on. Really fascinating stuff. We appreciate it so much. Oh, thank you for having me, guys. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks, thanks everybody, for tuning in. And uh, we will talk to you next weekend from Las Vegas. Thanks a lot, y'all. Talk soon.